Welcome to the Lawyer Life Podcast, where the personal, professional, and political intersect. Each week, we discuss a topic to help ourselves and other lawyers navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. On today's episode, we talk to our guest, Catherine Chang, about belonging. We're asking ourselves, what happens when a lawyer feels they don't belong? And how can we help folks that are put in that position? I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Hey, Darlene, little delay there, pal. Little delay. Yep, but uh, we're good. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. I'm excited for this conversation, as I always am when we have our illustrious guests. I'm so excited for this conversation. Among, well, there's a million reasons for it, but Catherine and I actually have a lot in common, which uh, we will parse out through the chat maybe, but it's fun to have like a little kindred spirit a little bit. Yeah, totally. Catherine's a kindred spirit for sure. Maybe you can tell the listeners about her. What a great segue. <laughs> I'm getting better. I, I really do try hard. Professional broadcaster Darlene Tonelli gets me to go to an intro. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. Okay. Catherine Chang is an immigrant that moved from Jamaica to Canada at the age of 10. After earning her LLB, working as a lawyer, and spending her career managing student and alumni relations at a major Canadian firm. Catherine has built a unique understanding of the legal industry. Understanding the impact of being on the outside, Catherine has refocused her career to provide career coaching services to a diverse set of clients, some from unrepresented backgrounds. Catherine helps people to be their most confident self and achieve results based on their individual definition of success. Here, here. How about that? And with that, we're so excited to have on the Lawyer Life podcast this morning, Catherine Chang. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Mike. Hi, Darlene. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, we're so pumped to have you. Oh, well, I'm really happy to be here. And this is a topic that I talk about a lot. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. Um, The idea of belonging is something, Catherine, you brought up, is one of the obstacles that that people sort of overlook, that it's it's not just diversity and inclusion, it's diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Absolutely. And first of all, I thought I'd talk about sort of what belonging means um, and what it means to me. For me, it means being comfortable in my own skin. And um, a lot of that somehow has to do with connection and not feeling alone. And maybe when you're walking into a room, you know, having people to speak to, uh, knowing, you know, generally, like having a general idea of what to expect, what to expect. And, you know, ultimately really not being afraid to share your thoughts or speak up. So I wonder, is that sort of what you think of it as belonging also? I think now, I mean, probably the most recent example of trying to carve out belonging for me, even though I am like a Caucasian woman, um, I'm often in situations where there aren't that many women in the room, particularly working with tech companies and um, in the music industry. It's not always, uh, it's a, not always a gender balanced uh, environment. But then on the other interesting side, I also worked with an American company for a long time. And there was a certain, you know, being the only Canadian in the room sometimes was its own <laughs> um, form of difference that, that it took me a long time to understand how to kind of bridge some of the gaps in style in business and stuff like that. So those are my experiences. And I would say the way that I felt in those experiences was 
this need to kind of demonstrate that I knew what I was doing. It wasn't an assumption that I knew what I was doing. I had to prove it. And that was, that was tough. And also just, you feel a bit conspicuous, even though maybe you aren't, I don't know, but that would be my experience of it. And I'm sure that's a very minor experience compared to what others experience. Well, I think, I feel like that's a really good point, Darlene, because that is exactly what, how people describe it, right? Feeling conspicuous, Mm. um, feeling less confident. Um, You know, often the things I hear is I just don't belong, or I feel like I don't belong. It's constant. And often it ends up with the I'm exhausted part, right? I'm just exhausted. And that's, you know, and, and one of the things I think we should talk about is, you know, systemic barriers that are facing a lot of people who are not the dominant group in a law firm or especially in a big law firm. You know, I want to make sure that we don't downplay that, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, I don't know, many of your listeners have probably read Hadia's Black on Bay Street article, which talks a lot about those challenges, you know, and the um, Law Society's report and recommendations also covered it a lot. But but in terms of what we're going to talk about in, in, in belonging, I think it's more about the individual stories and why people come to me, how coaching can help it, help them mm-hmm. um, navigate this world that absolutely should be changed and there need to be systemic changes. But until that happens, like, what do I do when I don't feel like I belong? What do you tell them? Yeah. So it's, first of all, a lot of it is being a safe space, a safe space for Mm. them to talk about this for the first time. Because, I mean, think about your experiences in big firms when you had issues or you had concerns uh, and who would you speak to, right? Like often they, uh, you know, had some say over your work allocation or your um, reviews. And Mm. so the first thing is that a lot of people like are like, I don't know who to go to to talk about this. I'm having these feelings. Um, you know, it's often, it just keeps adding up. I'm dealing with every, every day. The impact of keeping silent is like affecting me emotionally. It's affecting me physically. You know, it's creeping doubt. The replays in my head, like, did I really hear that? Why is that bothering me? You know, should I say something? Oh, no, is it too late to say something? you know, they didn't mean anything, just exhaustion. Yes. I think one of the things is um, that I'm really relating to is that I think most people who've worked at a law firm or Mm -hmm. are starting out their career in law can relate to the feeling of not wanting to really, I mean, what you're talking about is kind of almost like a weakness. Like there's this real, there's this couple of years at the beginning of your career where you want to, and you feel like you have to just be like, yep, got it. Don't have any feelings. Don't have a life outside the office. (laughs) Don't do anything but work. I've, I've written about this in my blog. Um, it's a a form of artifice that, that is affects everyone. And then on top of that, what you're talking about is an additional layer of stress that I would find, you know, I think that's unimaginably stressful actually. And that's exactly it, right? mm -hmm. Like that stress of not seeing anyone who looks like you, Mm -hmm. you know, and then, or being called, you know, for example, I've had um, Asian clients or, or black clients who have been called the name of the only other black or Asian lawyer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being like a part, yeah, there's one example I remember I, someone told me about like the, the little things, right? That may, other people may think wouldn't impact you, but you know, you're, you're with another student and uh, you run into a partner and the partner starts talking to the student beside you and saying, I saw your dad on the weekend. And them not even acknowledging you. Mm. Those little things, which is a microsecond, 
and nobody else notices, right? For folks who, uh, you know, aren't underrepresented, uh, you know, especially, you know, the white men, I would say in, in our industry, especially, it's hard to understand the impact of those small things, I think. And, and I don't know, and, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll put this uh, to you, maybe, Catherine, you know, it kind of feels like to me, the first time you meet your partner's parents, and you go to their house, and it's different. And you feel like you're being observed in a different way and you have to be right. perfect. And, and you can't like at that dinner, you need to mind everything you're saying and channel it through this like family's culture, which is different from your family's culture. And every kind of response you get back, you analyze differently than you would if it was your own family. Um, right. Is that is that kind of a way that's exhausting? You get home and you're tired. It's exhausting. From it's that, like that, from that, that experience. being hypersensitive, right? That yeah. being on mm. edge, that being, oh my goodness, I can't let them see any of my flaws. Right. And mm. that's something that the, the the unspoken things that exist in a firm or the firm's culture, uh, that that the the culture basically forces the person to feel like they need to act that way, right? Like if if I, and, and the, I find it interesting, the example of I saw your dad on the weekend or, mm -hmm. you know, um, people at a firm talking about going golfing. Uh, right. If I came up in a culture or a family or an economic circumstance that we didn't golf, right? Um, right. But instead, you know, we, you know, we, we cooked together or, or we did another, you know, another form of activity on the weekend. Mm -hmm automatically I can't engage in that conversation. That's right. right. Mm -hmm. And that's another really common thing you hear, like the talk about cottages and summer camp and that feeling of, I can't contribute. So I'm on the periphery. Right. Mm -hmm. And does anyone really like golf or is it just like a thing that people feel <laughs> to talk about? <laughs> I think a lot of people love golf. Darling. I think they do. I know my dad would be included in that, uh, in that group. But uh, anyway, I think that's it. It's like, those are, but all of this stuff is very insidious. And I think, I mean, even for me, as I get older, I get a lot more comfortable with the idea that I can, I can present the way that I am. Right. And that is a privilege, right? Like that's a real privilege. And yeah. I think it's, it's something that Mike and I have spoken on a previous podcast about building an architecture of empathy to deal with um, what other people are going through and just be aware that other people may not have the same experience of you. That's like step one. That um, is step one. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you, you think about if I didn't have the experience of feeling so uncomfortable in those early years, feeling like I had to present, but then I also had the experience of feeling, Hey, that doesn't work for me, you know? Right. And then I had the privilege on top of that, of being able to be authentic without having, I mean, there have probably been consequences, but um, right. there are consequences I'm willing to accept and I'm still able to live the life I lead and the career that I want to have. So um, and I, I love that you mentioned that, that privilege of being authentic, because I think that's something really important to realize, you know, when mm -hmm. people talk about the importance of things like authenticity and resilience and grit, and that it's a lot easier for some people, right? Well, and I think the current firm, if you think about, um, you know, the, the current law firm model, there are some for whom that's authentic. Like I, there right. are people who are presenting authentically at work, perhaps the discussion of golf and, and then going to court and I don't know, whatever the example is for the specific firm, for mm -hmm. some at the firm, that's authentic. I think where the problem comes in is that 
you feel, I don't know where this pressure comes from. I would be interested in your thoughts on where does that pressure come from? Because certainly no one sits you down at the first day of a firm. And I've worked at two different law firms. Mm-hmm. Um, no one says, okay, so you know, the rule is you talk about golf, you you know, you know, act like this, you pretend that only work matters, you act like you don't have a life outside the office, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No one says that. But I think it's a pretty universal experience that that's what people think right. is expected of them. So where does that come from, do you think? I think, and I might feel free to chime in, but I mean, I feel like there's a pretty strong dominant culture in law firms, which is white and male. And um, I mean, I know there are a lot of white males who don't ascribe to those, um, but this feeling of this is the way that you are successful, the way you're going to be successful, you're right, seems to be pretty universal, right? But changing, I would say. I find that it's really hard to pin down what the definition is of a, of a workplace culture. And the best I can determine it to be is this is how we act and how we get things done, right? Like this is, uh, and it's not spoken. I, I like, it's so hard, I think, to truly develop a culture based on the core values written on the wall or what have you. But it's mm-hmm. actually day to day. What are the conversations and, and how do we work? And that ultimately, I totally agree, that's dictated by the people who are in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the, the, what, we, what folks who are in charge need to uh, enable, I think if I was in that position, is um, certainly, yeah, if you're like somebody that's a senior partner and you golf on the weekend, fine. Um, and you talk about it, I feel like you can't be silent on what you did on the weekend, but as well, draw out from others different things and be interested in those conversations and not prioritize uh, your own could be something we work on. The only way cultures change is if actually the way that you work and the way that you talk changes as well. It's not about having a program or about a list of whatevers. Uh, It's a day-to-day small act thing. Is that fair to say, Catherine? Yeah, I think a day-to-day, you're exactly right. Like the list, the asking about people and the listening, the listening, like, I mean, we've all been in those situations where somebody asks you a question and you know, they're not listening to the answer, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, the, the asking about like, how are you and how do you feel and really listening. Mm-hmm. you know the making introductions to people you know the making sure that people have real work with and i mean boy this gets getting into a, you know a, a big area of work allocation but like you know making sure that people get access to people who are decision makers um asking for input in meetings you know paying attention a big thing for me one of them um I think is like really just paying attention and you know, what is, what does that mean in terms of, does it mean not checking your phone all the time? That, that type of thing. What I think that we're all aware of is that this is really hurtful and painful and really impacts confidence and work performance and emotional well-being. And that being aware of that is maybe a really great starting point. I, I, I think those are great tips and, um, the small acts can make a big difference. I I have not experienced, uh, you know, really uh, predominantly a lot of outsider scenarios in my life. But there's one example that I think works um, for me, and 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 I and I have seen the impact of people reaching out um, in that scenario. So when I was uh, in law school, one of my summer jobs was at uh, Justice Canada, the Department of Justice, and I was assigned to work uh, as part of this bilingualism committee. 
uh, with the mandate, basically this committee had the mandate of promoting bilingualism in the department and giving tangible outputs like how to run a meeting, um, uh, one pagers and stuff like that, uh, to ensure that both Anglophones and Francophones felt like they uh, were equally involved and embraced and uh, able to access materials and all that. So the funny thing is about that committee is everybody was a Francophone other than me. Uh, and the meetings occurred only in French and the meeting minutes were only written in French. Uh, and I was functionally bilingual, uh, but not hyper comfortable speaking French. So what I found was in those meetings, I spoke way less than normal. Oh. Uh, I deferred a ton. Uh, and really I only, um, participated when somebody kind of invited me to and opened up the window for me to participate in English by asking me, Mike, what do you think actually speaking in English and not in French? Right. Then I would. Um, so that's a sort of example. I think that we could maybe use as a metaphor for folks that don't understand a day-to-day -day life of being an unrepresented person of okay, literally like it's, it's, it's the same takeaways I think exist. It's almost as if you're speaking a different language. Right. Uh, yeah. And how important it was for you to have that window opened up. And, mm -hmm. you know, what are other ways perhaps, you know, they could have made you feel more comfortable? You know, what are ways that you wouldn't, you know, have felt so, you know, that that deference or that unwillingness to speak up? Um, and and I, a lot of it to me, that that confidence, that impact on confidence, right? It means that you you take less risks and often... Honestly, that the reality is that we need to take risks to, to achieve. Like we have to stretch out of our comfort zone. And so when you're limited by that feeling, and I mean, I, I think I mentioned to Darlene, I went to this brain-based conversation skills course, which really talked a lot about the neuroscience of, you know, and I mean, I could go on and on and I can give you lots of reference stuff to add for the podcast, but how it actually affects the brain when mm. you know you're under a threat state and the fact mm. that you know and we all know about fight or flight when there's there's you know physical threat to physical safety but when there's threat to your social safety and one of the pieces of that is relatedness and belonging how does that impact your brain and um it was really fascinating to see in terms of you know that that threat response decreases your perception your cognition your creativity your collaboration and um you know, so obviously decision making is is affected, you know, understanding recall. And in terms of law, I think it has huge consequences um, to, you know, for in terms of the ability to, you know, a reduced ability to see issues, um, a reduced ability to solve, you know, be a problem solver and work with others. And so I think this is really, really important uh, for people to recognize that impact and think about ways that they can make the place, make their places more welcoming and a place of connection and belonging. You know, the idea of fitting in mm -hmm. itself is like, okay, well, I think that maybe the idea of having to fit in to be successful is almost on its face, something we should be questioning because right. I would say I am an infinitely better lawyer now than I was when I was trying to do it like everybody else. because. That's not where I'm my best. I'm my you're best when I... You're bringing your strengths to it, right? You're, now yeah, you're bringing and, your real, real gifts and talents. But I also think that as I continue to be more authentic to who I am, you know, that's what gives me 
the interest in building a model that allows people to be who they are. Because I do think it's a strength. I don't think this stuff is, you know, a side, a side issue. I think this is core to your point, Catherine, to the, yeah. the services that we give to clients. Like, are you able to be your best for your client? If not, yeah. why not? <laughs> right? That's why it's an issue for firms to deal with. Because if an associate is sitting there feeling like they don't belong, they're not getting the right work, they're getting work that is based on an assumption about them for some reason, gender. And or, imagine, or, Darlene, feeling it every single day. Yeah, exhausting. My response would be, you know, I think that the more we can create this, the understanding that being authentic is a strength, not a weakness. Right. Right. Everyone benefits from that. And the more, honestly, I think that um, part of the reason, I think it's like, until everybody can be themselves, you know, no one can be themselves. And I think that's even true for the privileged people who don't experience feeling like they're outsiders, they're also subject to this like drive to conform, right? Like we don't know if they all like golf. We totally. Don't know that. <laughs> right? right, right. So if maybe they're subject to some pressure to conform. I should mention, I, I was just thinking about how one client described her feeling to me. And she said it was like losing herself, you know, becoming quieter, less confident, unhappier. And what she noticed was, all you know the unhappiness was at work and also at home because she felt like she was just that life was just happening to her and she'd lost control and that was i mm. thought a really powerful and disheartening way to to describe it that is disheartening yeah so back to the what can we do about it right you know yes. in terms of is that there's a real need as we talked about a little bit earlier about a need real need for a safe space to unpack the complicated feelings that go with the feeling of not belonging mm -hmm. and that includes a place without judgment um you know focusing on solutions that work for that person that individual knowing that it's not one size fits all one size fits all that it's about that you know the individual's needs their values their triggers and you know, when people feel that others at work are responsible for work assignments and evaluations, they often remain silent and don't speak up. And so we have to recognize all of that. It's so funny, like no matter what the issue is that we talk about on this podcast, uh, one major theme that comes through is like recognizing individual needs. And it just seems like, um, you know, I, I know this is occurring in like healthcare and in so many other places that the like applying a de facto standard across a group of people is something that we no longer need to do anymore and we can get mm -hmm. better um you know we have ways of customizing um to individuals in, in a number of different ways and this is just a this is another example of that i feel like this applies to building a sort of work environment for an individual in which they thrive and that makes the individual better. Like we talk about having flexible time for people to work or work from home arrangements. Like this is, this is all say the same part of the conversation of how can we make sure that you as an individual are the most comfortable, are thriving, are, you know, feel like you can be yourself while you deliver great service. Right. So that that's, I feel like oftentimes the second somebody hears, especially somebody in a power position, here's, you know, mention of belonging, or I feel on the outside or talking, you know, especially if that comes from uh, an underrepresented person, I feel like the door is shut so quickly, because it is 
not looked at as a substantive issue. Um, and that's a terrible thing. What should occur is that this is this is about the person that's in front of you. And how do you make sure that the person in front of you that is under your employer or, or works in your workplace mm -hmm. can be the best person and happiest person they are while also delivering the best service or product that that they're meant to in their job. Um, and so I think just like, like focusing on the individual is such a yeah. powerful point because it... And how do you... And the one thing too is how do you, um, you know, like lean into your discomfort? Because mm. often people don't want to have those conversations, right? Because they're like, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing or I don't want... Mm -hmm. But, you know, like opening yourself up, being vulnerable, like, and, and I, I think that's so important too. And it takes so little, like it's low, listening is very low risk. Like, can I just right. say that? <laughs> really like, listening. <laughs> you don't have to, dom like, you don't have to talk if you feel uncomfortable with the topic. You know, if you're, if you're a, a person who doesn't know what it's like to be underrepresented, you can still engage in a conversation by opening up that conversation and ask and just drawing out more information with open-ended questions. You don't have to do anything else. Tell me what that feels like. Tell me more about that. You know, like this is not, it's not rocket science. Right. Opening yourself up, right? Opening yourself up to new experiences and to learning about people. Seems so basic. And also just the remove, just catching yourself when you have a judgment. Like I was at an event last night and they had as part of their office, which tech companies are all over, they do lots of interesting things. But at this particular office, there was a beer tap installed that's just always there and always alcohol around and i thought to myself like if you had a problem with alcohol this would not be a workplace that you'd want to work in and there would be some stigma attached to being like oh i'm the i'm the person that doesn't drink because that's the culture of this environment but like if you if someone said i don't drink quickly what's your assumption is your assumption that they might have a problem with it and they're making a healthy choice for them or is your assumption that they're a stick in the mud Right. And that's just the judgment. Like, doesn't the person needs to be supported and the judgment needs to go. And I think becoming aware of when you're making a judgment, even if it's a valid one versus an invalid one, is really helpful and is like the first step. Because some people are like, oh, my judgment is the is a fact. No, it's not. <laughs> it's having, just your thought. Yeah. Having perspective. Right. And being aware of others. Like, um, on both sides, I think, you know? Good wrap up. Sorry. Having no. perspective on both sides. I like it, but, right? you know, Is that a good summary? Of course. It's really interesting that advice is great, but often real learning and real change in behavior comes from within, you know? And that's what I try to do with a lot of, of my clients is really try to facilitate the coaching, having safe and powerful discussions, where people can say their inner thoughts out loud, sometimes for the first time and often surprising themselves. So really supporting people to try on new thoughts, feelings and behaviors and, and really trying on new thinking, you know, like so reflection, you know, a lot of stuff about, you know, confidence that we talk about, growth mindset. I'm sure you might guys have mentioned on some of your podcasts, Carol Dweck's growth mindset, you know, um, stuff when we can, you know, the passion for stretching yourself and sticking to it even or especially when it's not going well, it's the hallmark of a growth mindset. This is the mindset that allows people to thrive in challenging times. That's uh, one of her quotes from her book, Mindset. Um, 
talking about emotional regulation, which is so important. Again, you could do podcasts on that. Self-compassion, so important, right? And so examining your assumptions, your choices, your priorities, your values, your motivation, your triggers, focusing on your strengths, your past successes, all of those things I think are so important to, 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 for people to move forward, to take action and, and to help them like achieve real results for them. Well, and what we're trying to do on this podcast is create a culture in which, um, and in my blog too, but, you know, create a culture in which people are talking about these things very honestly and authentically, because I think there has been too long where everyone's scared to talk about it, but at some point someone has to talk about it. And it's not just in a comfortable way because comfortable conversations usually don't move the needle. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for this, uh, Great conversation. I think there's a lot of practical things that we can uh, take away. And uh, if, for folks that are in a power position and, and and can change things, I think there's a lot for them to do. But as well, I, I think even at minimum, we can look at our colleagues and, and people that are lateral to us and try to help them out if we do see um, that they might not feel a total sense of belonging. And that can make a big impact on them as well. Absolutely. Great. So with that, we'll go to a break and we'll be back with our goods and gripes. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law, experienced legal counsel when and where you need us. To learn more about Interalia, visit the website that's spelled I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. Thank you. And we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support. Gripes are things that annoy us. Uh, Darling, do you want to start? Do you have a good or gripe? I'm, I thought that this whole week was good. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, good. I really Darlene's enjoy this personal week. <laughs> Darlene's week is my good. Um, yeah, I think that there, you know what I, one good, um, I went to an event last night that was all solo and small firm um, proprietors interacting and talking about business and talking about how we can help each other and um, cooperate on, on, ways of bringing positive change to the profession good you know that's awesome. a real good i really enjoyed that and uh i love that in many ways we compete with i mean some of us have competitive law firms but it doesn't matter in that space you know there's enough for everyone it's a matter of um helping and being a resource to each other and it's so supportive and i, I just love that i think it's great how about uh, mike do you want to go with your good uh, I have to go with the Toronto Raptors again. This is so much fun. <laughs> Up to one. But you don't want to talk about belonging. I think that's one thing that people actually are focusing on. The media is focusing on the focus on Toronto, the diverse set of fan base, how how everybody seems to be getting along quite well in the celebrations. It's like there are, there's an incredibly diverse set of Raptors fans. Everybody's so uh, coming together around this. It's so much fun. It's just fun. It's pure fun. And I love it. And one thing... Speaking about somebody who might have been a bit too comfortable uh, is have you you saw this uh, uh, one of the partial owners and board members of the Warriors pushed a Raptor who who came yeah, into the, the stands yeah 
maybe he felt a little bit too comfortable in his, in his surroundings. And maybe you can see how that would be from a power position, uh, a negative thing. So folks who, you know, feel really comfortable where they're at, maybe you can overstep sometimes like this guy did. He's out half a million dollars. He's banned, I think, from being at an NBA game for a year. And he's the villain of the series now, as he should be. So he should yeah. be. I agree. And I was actually shocked. It's only a year. Um, and you stole my good, right? Because I'm a huge oh, Raptors yes. fan. Another commonality we have, because I am like I'm the biggest fan of anyone that knows me. It's, it's So I'm really pumped. Um, well, there you go. So we are, we both have Jamaican backgrounds. We're both have ties to the Golden Horseshoe area. And we both are huge Raptors fans. We need to get together, Catherine. We do. Absolutely. (laughs) Excellent. Do you have a grape, Catherine? I have a a grape, a constant grape that is even um, now that the weather is a little bit warmer. I'm a dog owner and I am just so angry at people who won't pick up their dog poop. That's my constant grape. (laughs) Bravo. It's almost Bravo. like Mike could have helped you write that great. That's a Mike Mike <laughs> style so great. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. That's a really good That's one. Great. That's great. Um, Mike, you go. I have two gripes. One is actually a self gripe. It's a gripe about myself. Uh, I'll start there. In the last episode, we talked about uh, lawyers with kids, and I and I re-listened to it uh, after recording, and I realized I made a presumption at one point that every couple is made of a man and a woman. And I want to gripe at myself for that. I'm sorry. That is not the case. And I feel bad about that. So that's my self-gripe. Self-gripe. And and then general gripe. You brought it up earlier. And I talked about this with a guy on my hockey team on Monday night. That my gripe is about the cool workplaces with the beer tap or the ping pong table. No one cares. People don't. People don't care about that, really. It looks good on your website, but in the end, do you treat people well? Do you compensate them properly? Is it a positive workplace? That is way more important, especially now as you know, benefits programs are running out and so on and so forth. I think that we get a bit too caught up in the ping pong table, and uh, that's my gripe. Okay. You're not a ping pong fan. All other sports, but no ping pong. No, no, no flashy... Stop. Stop. I challenge you to a ping pong game, Mike. Oh my God. Well, you will definitely win. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that was kind of along the lines of what my gripe is. I'm actually just, it goes with this idea that work means a certain thing. And I think every industry has that. And in the tech industry, it is sometimes like we have, we work hard, we play hard, right? Like we, we have the ping pong table so that we're here and can take a break and um, but we're, the assumption is kind of we're always here. That's why like we don't drink during the workday. That's not what the beer taps for. It's for after. Um, and we're going to be here, right? Like hanging with the people we work with. So I think that for me, work has a place and outside of work has a place. And I'd like to have people feel the freedom. I mean, there's a strong element of freedom on this podcast, but um, I think the world will benefit when there's everyone has a bit more freedom to be themselves and this, that's part of it. You know, it's like one person's idea of the, the company they want to build is as follows. Um, that doesn't mean that everyone else has to feel like they have to pretend they like ping pong. Anyway, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> right. Like they, I guess the point is this exists everywhere. It just takes a different form. So gripe, gripe it up. That was a couple of good gripes, but also, yes, it's an exciting time to be in Toronto and um, it's, 
it's cool to see. Go wraps. Go wraps. Oh, okay. Well, we'll update on the, we don't need to update. Everyone knows. What's going on <laughs> You're going to listen to the Lawyer Life podcast <laughs> in a week, for, week for or one two week from now late. to understand how the Raptors did. No spoilers, we'll everybody. I'm waiting for the lawyers to tell me. <laughs> it's going to be very good. It's going to really up our uh, podcasting game. Anyway, thank you so much, Catherine. This has been really, really great having you. And uh, it's an important voice. And we really appreciate you bringing the perspective um, that we don't necessarily have. And we want to share with people and, and just let people know what you're doing, too, because I think it's a really important service that you're offering. And just the perspective that you have from working in the industry and then helping people navigate it um, with your lenses is, is very valuable. So thanks so much. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And I look forward to continuing this conversation with both of you. Put Catherine's contact information in our show notes so everybody can understand how to reach out to her. Did we Thank do you. it? We did it. Okay, cool. We'll talk soon. <laughs> talk soon. Talk soon. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Interalia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.